When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you and along with me from ZoneCoverage.com, my pal Arif Hassan. Arif, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I have dove in, dove, dived full into the off season. whichever one of those it is. I'll, I'll need someone who's better at grammar to tell me. Uh, looking into the future of the Vikings, and we've spent a lot of time already talking about whether it will be Teddy Bridgewater or signing Kirk Cousins. So later in the podcast, Arif, because I know you are a connoisseur of the quarterback, I will uh, throw some off-the-wall potential ideas at you. But recently, I've been working on the offensive and defensive line and what the Vikings' goals should be for this offseason. And where I want to start with you is on the offensive line side. Arif, we saw a huge, huge step forward for the Vikings on the offensive line. But it seems to me that with Joe Berger potentially retiring here, they still have a, quite a bit of work to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and especially after seeing uh, you know, the, the best offensive line of football, maybe one of the best, win the Super Bowl, it kind of really brings home how important the offensive line is. Um, so yeah, they have to they have to have an answer at the guard position with Berger retiring, and I think they need another answer at the other guard position because I don't have an extraordinary amount of faith in Nick Easton. Um, so uh, they they do need uh, maybe two potential guards, maybe one in free agency, one in the draft. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's you're right. They took an enormous step forward, um, but they've they've got a lot of room to improve as well. And so I, where I'm, my mind is at is the kind of the future of the tackle position as well. I mean, I totally agree with you with the guard spot, and you'll be shocked to find out that the free agent guards outside of one, Andrew Norwell, are pretty unimpressive. He plays for Carolina, good player, but he's probably going to get a lot of money that the Vikings don't want to allocate to the guard position. So it will either be trying to just plug the hole or potentially using a first-round pick there, but... My mind has gone to the tackle spot because I don't think that Mike Remmers is necessarily the long-term right tackle. And I think there's also the potential of Riley Reef over the next few years moving from left to right tackle. What do you think of the idea, Arif, of drafting in the first round 
a guy to plug in at right tackle for next year and having Mike Remmers play on the right guard side. I did not like how he looked as a left guard, but I thought as a right guard in week 17 against pretty good competition, Akeem Hicks of the Chicago Bears, I thought he was pretty good there. I mean, it's a lot of money to pay for a guard, but at the same time, you'd have someone on a rookie contract playing at the right tackle spot. Right. I mean, it's it's this, essentially the same amount of money either way, so that doesn't actually bother me. You're right. Um, the thing about that is, and you'd have to talk to probably some draft experts to get kind of a deeper analysis, but my understanding is that the, the guard uh, pool in the draft is, is significantly deeper and, and richer than the tackle pool. Um, you know, someone like Orlando Brown, who I hear is good, uh, falls to the Vikings and they can have him at the right tackle spot, and that sounds, you know, like a, like a, like a pretty good option. But um, from my understanding, um, and, and this is always going to kind of come into play, from my understanding, uh, the way that the guard uh, market in the draft is playing out, you might actually upgrade your offensive line more by keeping Remmers at right tackle, even though he is fairly inconsistent there, and drafting a guard um, to play right guard than you would by drafting someone like Mike McGlinchey, who is getting kind of mixed reviews from draft experts to play right tackle uh, and having Remmers play guard. I agree with you that he played right guard significantly better than he played left guard, uh, and that's actually maybe potentially one of the concerns I have with moving Riley Reef back to the right, just because when you switch sides, it's more difficult than if you switch positions. That's why a lot of teams um, move their tackles inside to guard rather than flip sides. Um, and that, and that, that seems to be what happened with Remmers, who's just consistently played poorly on the left side of the line, uh, whether at tackle or at guard. Um, that said, you know that's just a question for uh, that's just a question for what happens with um, the specific talents available in the draft. I think theoretically that does make a lot of sense because uh, it is just generally harder um, to find tackles uh, than guards. Um, but I do think that you can help tackles a lot more than you can help guards. And so having a weaker tackle is not necessarily worse because you can put a tight end there. Whereas with a guard, you have to deal with interior pressure and uh, you, it's just more difficult to, to, you know, if you put a running back right behind them, like, I don't know. Um, so I, I think that there's a merit to it theoretically. I just think that the realities of the draft make it, I think, more difficult. Yeah, fair enough. Now, I, I'm in, interested in digging a little deeper into your opinion on Nick Easton because I thought when they got to the playoffs without Nick Easton, it really showed that they didn't have much of an answer there and maybe that he was – a pretty good player in that spot for what they needed to do. I mean, along the lines of my thinking on Nick Easton was when he goes up against somebody who's really good and really powerful, there are times he's going to get beat and runs are going to get blown up in the backfield and things like that. We saw him really struggle against someone like Cameron Hayward, for example, of, of the Pittsburgh Steelers, just a phenomenal player who had an MVP day against the Vikings early in the season. And he was over Easton. Uh, but at the same time, his mobility, his athleticism, his quickness, he's not the biggest guy, but there were times where he got out to the second level and, and on screen plays that I thought really worked well with what they were trying to do offensively to mitigate some of the limitations that Case Keenum has and create big plays by throwing behind the line of scrimmage or just in front of the line of scrimmage. If they're going to have an offensive game plan that's similar I don't mind him being back there at left guard. Yeah, I don't think Nick Houston was a terrible liability, especially compared to kind of what happened uh, as as the as the postseason kind of continued. Um, but I do think that he represents a potential opportunity to improve a lot if you have 
you know, the capital or the luxury uh, to, to find a way to replace them. And the Vikings only have five picks plus two potentially compensatory picks. That makes it difficult to, to spend at a position where you're looking for an upgrade instead of you, you've got a huge hole. Um, but I do think that his inconsistent play um, has created significant problems, not just, you know, sort of in the, in the Pittsburgh game, but, you know, there's pretty consistently there's a lot of really talented, powerful defensive tackles in the NFL uh, and if you do upgrade that right guard position, you've got, you know, Elflin and Remmers or, you know, Hernandez or Wynn or whoever you get in the draft or whatever, um, then they're going to start, uh, you know, shifting their fronts to attack Nick Easton more, and I think he'll be exposed a lot more. Um, that said, I think that you're right, that he's not, uh, you know, a terrible liability in the same way as, you know, what had happened when he was gone, um, but he is, I think, a below average uh, left guard. Uh, it's going to be difficult to replace him just because, uh, like you said, that mobility is a really big part of the way that they design their passing and running game. Uh, and someone like Andrew Norwell in free agency, you know, if he does hit free agency and the Panthers don't sign him, he doesn't have the same kind of mobility. He's a fantastic power guard with the ability to clear lanes in front of him, um, but it is difficult to find a guy who can move like Nick Easton can and open up holes in the screen game, especially because the tandem of Elflin and Easton with their mobility to be able to move like they do has been a huge part of the way the Vikings designed both the run and their screen game. It's difficult to find a combination like that in the NFL. And so uh, you, if you do replace Nick Easton, especially in order to upgrade that pass protection, um, you will want to find a way to kind of preserve some of those advantages while getting rid of the disadvantages that come with his inconsistency, that come with uh, sometimes that lack of power. Um, but I, I do think that that interior pressure that, you know, they gave up, a lot of it had to do with uh, with Easton, who, um, you know, I was wrong. I thought that, you know, they, they shouldn't replace Alex Boone. It looks like, you know, he's playing better than Boone did, and, you know, maybe, maybe that's not the case if Boone stays. But still, um, I think that they should take another step there and, and improve the consistency they have because interior pressure kills quarterbacks a lot. Yeah, now, now I agree with everything you're saying on the weaknesses. In the way that I'm looking at it probably is you've already got to, if you've already got to replace a right guard, you, you might have to just kind of live with some of the shortcomings. I mean, you go around the league, how many of those guys uh, at the guard position are both athletic, mobile, and also powerful. I mean, there's probably three or four guys that, that are like that. So you kind of have to either take one or the other. And for an offense that I expect to be an outside zone running offense again when uh, Delvin Cook is back, I think Easton fits really well in that. And, and, and that's probably what went into the decision uh, way back when in preseason when they were running those outside zone plays and Alex Boone on the move just was not fit for that at all and Easton was much better. So I, I don't love, love him at left guard, but I think it's not a liability and probably some of the things that he does well will benefit Delvin Cook in the, the short passing game too. Uh, now with, with Pat Elfline, you're a, a guy, an analyst, a writer, who looks at pro football focus, analytics, different numbers. Pat Elfline's pro football focus numbers were not good. And my theory on that is that they played all sorts of great defensive tackles. Um, 11 of the top 20 rated defensive tackles they went up against at some point, including Aaron Donald, the defensive MVP. So that's going to be pretty tough on a rookie. Uh, but I, I look at his overall season, Arif, as a huge success and – I think he's a guy that's going to be here for a decade. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I think when you take a look at someone like Pat Elfline, I think that you can see what he does and, and take a look at his upside. I think what the what something like his PFS score tells us or his um, you know pass blocking efficiency numbers, which uh, were better than his PFS score at least. Um, you know, I think what they tell us is that there's a level of inconsistency, which you can definitely expect from rookies, especially rookie centers, uh, which is you know one of the most cerebral positions in the game. Uh, that you know that those things kind of happen. Um, Elflin showed really phenomenal, uh, you know, flashes of play, both uh, you know moving in the screen game, but also I think in pass protection. One of the things they always look for, especially uh, in a center that might be undersized, is the ability to recover. And I think that uh, from a skills or technique perspective, he definitely showed that even against some of the top defensive tackles in the NFL, who, like you said, he went up with, he went up against fairly frequently. Um, I think his CFS score is more built just on that inconsistency, um, that, that sometimes he will give up pressure and he'll give it up fairly quickly. Um, but I don't think that, you know, for someone like him, that, you know, he's showing consistent traits that tell me he's going to consistently fail. Um, I think instead, you know, he's, he's done a lot that he can build on and improve on uh, the next season. So I, while I do think that the PFS score is, kind of an exaggerated version of the weaknesses that he's shown. Mm -hmm. They tend to bias towards consistency because that's just what the offensive line is about. Uh, and, it, and it tells us certain things about his game that he can improve on, but I don't think for um, the purposes of projecting how he'll play going forward that it tells us a lot because uh, you know he has shown kind of all of the things that he needs to show to indicate that he can continue to be a really good center. And like you've pointed out in a couple of your articles, when he hasn't been playing, the run game and the screen game have nosedived dramatically. Uh, and so if we were going to do sort of a plus-minus uh, with that Elfland, if that was even possible, uh, you know, his plus-minus would be extraordinary in its favor. Um, and so that's kind of another way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that that's one of the hard things about the pro football focus grades for people when they look at them, no matter what position you're talking about, that um, somebody who has a handful of rookie moments uh, in his first year is probably going to get dinged pretty hard for those, but you're assuming that they're going to go down as that player continues his career. And then, and that's what I would expect from Elfline, but the great plays from him were so excellent, especially times where he was out on a screen running 20 or 30 yards down the field. I mean, you just don't see too many uh, centers who are able to do that. And the game to really look at for that is um, Detroit. When they finish off the game on a screen pass to Stephon Diggs where he takes it down uh, into scoring position on the last drive. And on that play, Elfline is running right next to Stephon Diggs 20 yards down the field. And there's a safety who's like, nope, not, not going to be able to make that play. Not going to be able to get around that guy. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think the high end for Elfline all showed. And the low end for him was a handful of plays that probably got dinged pretty hard. Um, let's switch over to the defensive line. And the biggest pressing question here, Arif, is three technique spot. Tom Johnson, I thought, did a very good job considering what he was asked to do. But now this is definitely in play with the 30th overall pick or uh, in free agency. There are a number of guys who they could potentially chase. Yeah, I think so. Uh, what's interesting about Tom Johnson is I feel like he's actually gotten better every year he's been with the Vikings. I agree. Him starting his Vikings career at like 31 or something. It's just kind of phenomenal. Um, and But that still means that you have to find um, either a long-term solution or 
keep Tom Johnson as like a super backup, which, I mean, he has thrived in that role when he's had the opportunity to play um, in a sub package. Uh, you're right that it is definitely in play at 30, or it could even be in play. There's some interesting defensive tackles that could go uh, in, in the second round of the draft. I haven't looked at a ton of them, but, you know, if Maurice Hurst from Notre Dame falls, uh, which seems unlikely, but, you know, anything is possible, uh, that would be just an enormous boon for the Vikings. Uh, if, you know, Nathan Shepard from Fort Hayes State is available at the end of round two, another enormous boon for the Vikings. Um, but, yeah, it's I think it's an area um, – that they would need to focus on. I think that if you were to kind of rank sort of the Vikings' needs, you know, I put defensive tackle at two behind guard. You know, I think that, uh, or, you know, tackle, depending on what they want to do with Remmers. Um, and I think that kind of reflects um, what the Vikings know about the importance of trench play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and it really, I think, drives home, like, some of the weaknesses that they've had on the line. Like, they've improved pretty significantly as a run defense, something that Zimmer's kind of emphasized. Um, but if you have the ability to get that defensive tackle, you can move that defensive line from pretty good to great. I mean, a lot of people thought that this defensive line was one of the top three in football heading into the season. Uh, and I don't think it played like that, unfortunately. And, it, you know, the defense, number one and number two in the NFL, so, you know, it didn't hurt them over much until, you know, the Eagles game. Um, but if you can put that defense to the next level just by switching out that defensive tackle position, just one position, um, you're in a really good spot to have one of the defenses that people like to talk about for years afterwards as opposed to that. Ah, remember them? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think if they had found a way to beat the Eagles in Philadelphia, maybe we would have talked about them that way as uh, one of the best. But when you lose that game to a team with a really good defensive line, um, you probably uh, don't get as much attention. And I and I agree that uh, in terms of like their sack numbers and things like that, they were not among the uh, elites overall. And, and the other area, Arif, is that they just didn't have a whole lot of depth. And what I saw from the Eagles was Fletcher Cox is in there all the time, and everybody else is just coming and going. And so you're bringing in guys who are really good at rushing the passer, like Chris Long, for 40% of the plays, Derek Barnett for 40% of the plays, and these guys are coming in 100% fresh, just flying after the quarterback, where the guys they're going up against, the tackles, have been in there for for three quarters battling it out, and it just seems like it created such a disadvantage. I think the Vikings should try to copy that. And instead of having young players that they hope might develop into something, like Steven Weatherly and Tashawn Bauer, bring in somebody who has proven that they can rush the passer a little better, uh, and that's putting aside Brian Robinson, who I think either might retire or potentially not be back. But I, I think you could use even an, one more guy who's a pass rush specialist. Yeah, I think so. In fact, uh, the last time I did kind of a mock draft for the Vikings, I, I got you know a guy in the third round who I thought would probably test well athletically because they just always get a guy uh, in the mid-rounds. But I think that you're right that kind of just relying on youth just to fill that role to replace Brian Robinson might be a little bit too risky. Um, I haven't looked at sort of the, the pass rushers available in free agency, or I don't think I've even looked at the defensive tackles available in free agency. But I think that you're right. Either the Vikings need more depth or they need to be willing to use the depth that they had. I, I remember early in the season that, you know, we were pretty confused about why Jaleel Johnson wasn't, you know, active at a consistent basis. And, you know, m- you know, maybe the Vikings are right about that. Maybe he's not ready. And if that's the case, you know, you're going to need, um, you know, to bring in additional defensive tackles for depth. I think that the Eagles example is really on point. I mean, like, they had, you know, like Vinnie Curry come in, uh, and, they, and they had, you know, Bo Allen, you know, just take up, you know, a bunch of space on the defensive line 
to rotate alongside, you know, people like, you know, Fletcher Cox and that, and that really enabled the game uh, for them in a huge way and it allowed them to play their best players at really critical moments. And, uh, you know, that maybe uh, would have been able to, you know, avoid uh, Everson Griffin's, you know, foot injury just by preventing the wear and tear that comes with playing every, every snap, you know, for the Vikings. And so if they got, you know, uh, even just a situational pass rusher for depth, uh, they would really help themselves. And I think that having Brian Robinson on the roster has been such a huge boon uh, for, for so long that they've kind of ignored how important it is to be able to replace someone like him mm-hmm. um, just because he's been so versatile. Uh, and so if they can find that guy in the draft, that might be nice. Uh, in the third round, I really like that Rutgers guy, Kamoko Ture, um, who, you know, he doesn't have a ton of production, kind of like Daniel Hunter, but he's got these incredible athletic traits that he might be able to coach. Um, but I think that you're right that just relying on these young guys just to, to produce might put the Vikings um, in a bit of a spot when they've got a really good window. So if they can find or pursue, maybe Will Hayes, I know he's hitting free agency. He's like 31, 32. Um, you could get him for a year or two uh, and, and maybe play the same role as Brian Robinson. But, you know, that's definitely something that can that can move that defensive line to like the next level of effectiveness. By the way, circling back just a bit, do, do you have a guy in free agency for the, the three-technique spot? I mean, the big name is going to be Don Terry Poe, but I'm not sure they want to dish out that much cash to have Don Terry Poe. Uh, Chris Jones is, is a pretty good player. Um, there's Kyle Williams I covered it for a long time in Buffalo. He might retire. I, I, I don't know, but he could still play. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a, a free agent that you like uh, to bring in, but, um, you know, it is – something that they really didn't have a backup nose tackle. I mean, I mean, other than like Shamar Stefan was the backup nose tackle kind of, but I wouldn't want him playing in that position for more than a game or two. So Bo, Bo Allen is kind of intriguing here. And then Shamar Stefan is also a free agent. So they'll have to decide whether to bring him back. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think um, what would be really interesting um, at the free technique spot is if, uh, Sheldon Richardson does become available. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to kind of weigh sort of what what the locker room problems are, you know, whether or not his different production is genuine. Um, there's a lot of things you have to weigh with Sheldon Richardson, but uh, the upside there is phenomenal. You mentioned Chris Jones, uh, the Bowling Green Chris Jones, not like the two other Chris Jones that play defensive tackle in the NFL uh, are available, and I think that he's a pretty underrated guy, and so he could be pretty interesting. Um, but you're right, at the, the backup nose tackle spot, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, like you said, Shamar Stephens hitting free agency. Um, you might, you know, be able to get Dontari Poe to play that role just because he's had a dip in production. He's kind of at the tail end of his career, which is kind of unfortunate given how talented he was. Um, you could get, you know, Tyron Walker, who didn't have a great season but was pretty promising for the Lions before he got injured. Um, I think he just played for the Giants this last year. I kind of forget. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a couple of other guys. Tony McDaniel could be a backup three tech. Um, Justin Ellis could be a backup, you know, either position. Joel Johnson, you know, people think of him as a backup either position. I think that despite how big he is, he probably should stay at three tech. Yep. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's that, that's something that, uh, that, you know, the Vikings will kind of want to take a look at. Not uh, an enormously great crop. Um, maybe Benny Logan. Uh, you know, who played well for the Eagles but did not play all that well for the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they'll bring him in. Uh, John Jenkins, who, who played for the Saints and now the Bears, uh, is largely a nose tackle. Maybe they could bring him in. Um, but it's not a particularly rich defensive tackle class uh, in, in either of the draft or free agency. 
Um, so it is going to kind of spread their resources then try and find a guy. Um, again, if they if they like broke the bank and got Sheldon Richardson, that'd be pretty phenomenal. But it would also bring into question kind of what things they'll be able to do in 2019 uh, with uh, with like five free agents that they all want to keep hitting the market. Well, you went right to my next area of interest here on the defensive line, which is Daniil Hunter. I I think it's just a lock dead 100%. You absolutely have to sign Daniil Hunter to a very large contract extension, and you might have gotten lucky this year that he didn't get as many sacks because he got a lot of quarterback pressures, and I thought he did a pretty good job against the run, but he only had seven sacks as opposed to the 12.5 that he had last year. So you can always argue in a long-term contract like, well, you know, you just you got to prove it still. Obviously, because I think that Hunter is a is a star player and one of the probably best 25 players at his position. And of those five guys that you mentioned, which is uh, Stefan Diggs, this is off the top of my head, um, Eric Hendricks, Trey Wayans, Anthony Barr, Hunter. Did I miss anyone? No, I think that's all five. Okay, that's all five. So I but I think Hunter is I mean, right up at the top of the list, a must long term sign. Yeah, I think so, uh, and I think that if they lock him down now, I think that you're right that they're in a really good spot because, you know, if he you know, has like a 15-tax season, which is totally within his capability next year, it's going to be very expensive to sign him. And a lot of people take a look at the, the amount of cap space that they have, and maybe you can add in the free Floyd stuff, so instead of 57, it got something like 62. Uh, that's a lot of cap space, but then you realize they've got five starters, four starters on that on the defense that they love so much that was built off of continuity. Uh, and uh, and one of the best you know receivers uh, in the NFL, evidently. So uh, they've got a lot of work to do to fill out that 57. If they can get more of that in 2018, as opposed to letting those guys hit the market in 2019, they're in a better spot. And that does limit you know the free agency opportunities to grab a guy like Sheldon Richardson. But it is, I think, much more important to to sign Daniel Hunter, who he is super young, to a long term deal. Uh, pass rushers get paid a ton of money to get paid more than anyone except for quarterbacks. If you can lock down a pass rusher that you really like for a lot cheaper than they would get in the open market, um, they absolutely should do that. I was trying to figure out what his number would be actually just yesterday. I, I couldn't figure it out. I was thinking maybe 12 and a half, 13. Um, and because, you know, people like him a lot. He's very young. He's athletic. He showed the, what he can do. And like you said, he got a lot of pressure, but he might get less than that just because uh, he underperformed his pressure total in terms of sacks. Uh, this year, like last year, when he kind of overperformed his, his sack total versus pressures, uh, and uh, and you know that that might allow them to to construct a very team friendly deal. Yep, yep, that's exactly along my lines of thinking. Is that it, it, I don't even know if you you have to go over ten million with him at this point because you can always argue that. Um, this year he didn't get as many sacks and you're not entirely sure if you're the team, you could say, well, there is still some risk involved because we're not certain that you're a top 10 pass rusher in the league. Um, but still that would mean getting eight to $12 million a year, somewhere in there. Uh, that one will be at the very top of the list of interesting moves that they make this off season. But I, I would guarantee that Daniel Hunter is signed long-term, especially with how good it makes them look to find a star in the third round. Don't think that these front offices don't like hearing, you know, they found this Adam Thielen undrafted from Mankato. Like they love that every week. So um, anyway, Arif, let me uh, throw a couple of off the wall quarterback ideas for you. Cause you and I are on the same page 
with Teddy Bridgewater that if he's good to go with the knee, then he should be the starting quarterback in 2018 uh, rather than drop a gazillion dollars on Kirk Cousins or a long-term contract for Case Keenum and, and on and on. But if Teddy Bridgewater doesn't want to come back, his contract doesn't toll or the knee is not in really great shape. Uh, a couple other potential ideas. Now, I got made fun of for saying try to talk Carson Palmer out of retirement, so I'll throw that one out. <laughs> but, I mean, come on. It's not the craziest thing that would have ever happened to a Vikings quarterback situation, right? <laughs> I mean, sure, everybody expected it's Randall Cunningham. Right? Yeah, right. Randall Cunningham to come back or Gus Farratt to go like 8-3 and three as a starter or something. You all figure that was going to happen, right? Um, but... Uh, what what do you think of the idea of dipping into the AFC East and looking at either Ryan Tannehill or Tyrod Taylor in the scenario that Teddy Bridgewater, for whatever reason, cannot be the starting quarterback in 2018? Uh, I really like that. Well, so my idea was if Teddy was healthy to dip into the AFC East or formerly AFC East and get Josh McCown, be the backup because I think he'd be a good backup and he's got some history with the presumed offensive coordinator uh, DeFilippo but uh, in, in terms of starting I think Tyrod Taylor is going to be the value of the class I think that um, you know a lot of people love Alex Smith's game uh, and Tyrod Taylor is pretty similar in a lot of respects you know doesn't take a lot of risks uh, not as great downfield but uh, has, you know, the athleticism to, to move the ball, uh, you know, does, uh, and, you know, Alex Smith is a little bit better at reading the field and stuff like that, but, you know, does kind of move the chains and stuff like that. And I think that if you can get um, a version of Alex Smith that's younger um, for, although not a ton younger, uh, for a lot less, you know, Taylor might be kind of the the, the value of the quarterback free agency market. Um, I, I wouldn't mind that at all. I think that he could do a lot. Um, especially, you know, with a coaching staff that kind of respects him and wants to build a team around him, which is something he's been kind of lacking in Buffalo, which I, just, I think is kind of phenomenal. Um, so he's got a lot of upside despite, you know, uh, the, the fact that he doesn't seem to want to take that many risks at the moment. Um, I, I really like that. Um, I've already forgotten kind of the other name that you mentioned. Who else was that it that you That would be Ryan Jamison Tanhill. I don't know if that's his middle name. Oh, yeah, that would be intriguing if only because the Vikings have gone from, like, knee injury to knee injury to knee injury. Um, yes, Daniel's been, I think, a pretty, right? been a pretty underrated quarterback for a while, but I wouldn't put him in uh, an extraordinarily high category either, um, which is fine. Um, you know, if you're, if you're willing to sign Tyrod Taylor, I think that you're willing to also take a risk on Ryan Tannehill and prevent yourself from chewing up all that cap space that they're going to need for that defense. Um, I think both of them do represent upgrades over Case Keenum. You know, it's kind of a controversial opinion that both of us happen to hold. Uh, and so that would help out a lot. And if you're looking for upgrade over Case Keenum, uh, you don't want to spend necessarily $30 million in order to do that. Uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, someone like Kirk Cousins is going to be at the top of the market is an average to above average quarterback. So if you've got... Tannehill and, and Tyrod Taylor, who are also average quarterbacks, but they're going to cost way less. I think it makes a lot more sense. I really love your idea for Josh McCown to be the backup quarterback. If it is Teddy, uh, it, as opposed to franchise tagging Case Keenum to make sure he sticks around for whatever million dollars that would be, 20-something, um, 
I, I think that there are equivalents out there, quite a few of them, including Josh McCown, who is two of the last three years had a quarterback rating over 90 for a guy that's kind of, I don't want to quite say a punchline, but hey, look, McCown's starting again, huh? Um, and maybe, I mean, as far as backup goes, there's other options like Ryan Fitzpatrick, not a perfect guy, but he could get you through. Um, there's even this option. This is really far off the path. If Bridgewater can't come back, you sign someone exactly like Case Keenum or two guys exactly like Case Keenum to fight for your starting job and see if either one of them can be elevated to the same level. I'm thinking about, like, let's just say this, and people would go bananas if this happened, but let's just say they brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick and Brock Osweiler or Matt Moore or something, and they said, all right, you two guys fight it out and see if we can get the same out of Case Keenum. It sounds like the worst idea ever, but at the same time, if I told you they were going to sign Case Keenum last year to be their starting quarterback, you would have said that's the worst idea ever. Yeah, I don't know if the fact that it would have been the worst idea ever last year would justify something like the worst idea ever this year. <laughs> but uh, I find that interesting if only because uh, Fitzpatrick loves taking chances, uh, kind of like McCown, kind of like Keenum. Um, the only issue with having Fitzpatrick on your roster is that he guarantees that another quarterback is going to be injured. Uh, that's just that's just been his career. Uh, <laughs> right. Every time he's been on a roster, the the quarterback next to him just somehow gets hurt. Um, but you know, if, if if it's someone like you know Brock Osweiler, you know at least that's not too much money you've invested. Um, Brock Osweiler uh, being part of that competition would not sort of excite me. Um, I think that, you know, Matt Moore is somebody that I've kind of been a fan of for a while, but it's really clear that he's just super not interested in starting anywhere. Uh, And so it'd be kind of difficult to get him because he's very comfortable backing people up, which is totally fine. Like, pursue that paper. But, um, yeah, I don't think you'll get him in uh, for a starting competition. And if you have to... You know, if if you're not going to get Brock Osweiler, who I think does have some upside, but I, I I don't really like him as much. Maybe you could get someone like Chase Daniel again, who's got some history uh, with DeFilippo. Um, but also, I think you know a lot of people thought of him as like kind of the next big guy, and he's not. Um, but I, I think that you can get him for relatively cheap and have Case Keenum like qualities uh, from a guy that you can kind of design an offense around. And you know, I wouldn't hate you know if you sign. You know, Brock Osweiler and Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they take up like a total of $8 million of your cap. Um, you know, that's not terrible when you've got a great defense and if you've got a lot of confidence that you can manufacture another kind of magical quarterback from people that, um, you know, a lot of people have thrown away. Um, I'm just thinking, like, if, if maybe instead of Brock Osweiler, you know, you've got someone like Chase Daniel, uh, that might be interesting. Um, that said, you know, I don't, I guess I don't hate it. I just definitely know I don't love it. Yeah, it's it's I, it's way too risky to be like, oh, we could just find the next Case Keenum for this year, a bunch of wash-up guys who can come in and, oh, yeah, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Sure, I, I think they that fans need better than that. Uh, from a philosophical standpoint, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you brought in Josh McCown as your starting quarterback and he put up the same year. 
considering how good the wide receivers are. I stumbled upon this stat today that Case Keenum had 17 drops this year on his throws. Eli Manning had 43. (laughs) I mean, most quarterbacks in the league have over 30 every year, and he had 17. And when he was throwing to Stephon Diggs, he had the most tight window catches, and he had 116 quarterback rating throwing to Diggs. I mean, these are two special wide receivers, a great running game. I, I almost think you could plug in Brock Osweiler, as he showed with Denver for a very brief stint, and probably have a really good year and be competitive and in the conversation anyway because the supporting cast is so good, but that's not the ideal situation. The last one for you, Arif, and I appreciate all of your time. Um, A.J. McCarron. What do you think of A.J. McCarron? Uh, Uh, I I think he's a top-level backup. (laughs) I think that he has gone his whole life being a fairly overrated quarterback. But the fact that I hold that opinion doesn't change his actual like level of talent, which is rosterable and uh, and certainly better than a lot of backups in the league. Uh, having him in camp is fine. I think if his if you, if his job is to be the primary backup, you could get him um, instead of McCown, and I'd be fine. You could get him instead of Chase Daniel, and I'd be pretty happy with that. Um, but I just think that you know. He's uh, he's not that great a quarterback, and he's been given kind of a lot of uh, I'm not going to say press, but a lot of love from a lot of people as a potentially you know starting quality quarterback. And he's not there, um, so if you're asking me if he should compete for a starting quarterback position, if it's a three way competition between legitimate candidates, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, if not, you know I'm a little hesitant, um, but I like him as a backup. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's kind of more along the lines that I was thinking is if, you know, instead of bringing back Case on a franchise tag or something, uh, trying to get someone who's a little bit younger like Chase Daniel, but Daniel is not really played at all. At least McCarron had a a brief stint of playing that you could actually go back and look at. But uh, I think just last thing for you, I said last thing before, but if you're putting your money down, it's Bridgewater, right? I mean, isn't that the favorite by... 50 miles for the 2018 starting quarterback? I think so. Um, and I think all of this talk about uh, Kirk Cousins coming to Minnesota uh, is fairly brief and driven by, I guess, he at one point said Minnesota was number one with a bullet. Um, I, I forgot who he said that to, but that's been kind of all over Twitter. And I know someone else mentioned that the top two destinations are Denver and Minnesota. I haven't heard anything that indicates that Minnesota is actually interested, mm-hmm. um, but there's been a lot of, of talk about Cousins being interested in Minnesota. I think Cousins is going to be interested whichever team gives him long-term security uh, because it's that kind of the one thing he's been missing throughout his career. Uh, and I don't know that Minnesota would necessarily be able to offer that. Um, either way, uh, the amount of... Uh, investment, like both emotionally and I guess in terms of like draft capital, that the, the Vikings have put into Bridgewater makes it super difficult for me to believe that they won't give him a really good chance. Now that doesn't mean that they won't find like multiple options for insurance. Maybe they, you know, draft a mid-round quarterback. Maybe they sign a veteran backup that has the ability to start if need be. Um, you know, they they might not put you know so much faith in in Bridgewater that they just assume he'll be healthy all year or be the same guy. But I think they're always going to give him a puncher's chance to be the starting quarterback. And if you sign someone like Kirk Cousins, you're not going to get that because you're paying $30 million to 
have a quarterback competition. Not everyone right. can be as confident as as Seattle was with uh, with Russell Wilson and Matt Flynn. Right. right. Um, so I think that I, I think that the the first option will be to give Bridgewater that chance. All right. Well, Arif, always fantastic stuff. Love having you on. Zonecoverage.com is where you can read his work. I'm sure you're on some sort of podcast. Why don't you tell people about it? <laughs> yeah. I'm on two podcasts. Uh, one is on the Daily Norseman. It's called Norse Code. Uh, the second podcast is the, I guess it's now just the Zone Coverage Football Machine. You can find that at zonecoverage.com. Okay, Arif, I said one podcast. All right. Not not promote yeah, well, two. Well, I got two in there. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> Arif does great work. Make sure you go read him. I would not suggest following him on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Stay away from that, but read his work for sure. And uh, he does great stuff. Love having you on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Arif, and thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.